and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen. And if you don't mind, let's all stand. We are going to confess uh, what we believe through the Apostles' Creed this morning. Church, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. As you're seated, uh, go ahead and turn to John chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 13. The plan was, uh, Kelby was going to be very busy this weekend with the wedding, so he had already asked me to preach, so the message was prepared, and this morning he, uh, he let me know that he was under the weather, so we, uh, we took it all, and uh, it's all for God's glory anyway, so um, we pray that you have been blessed by it, continue to pray for Kelby that he'll feel better today, and, and uh, I know they're going to have to travel home and stuff, so traveling mercies for them. So, if you have found John chapter 9, verse 13, say word. Now hear the infallible, inspired word of God. John 19, 13 through 41. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight, and he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, The man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? 
How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard him, heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is infallible, inspired, and inerrant. We can count on what it says more than we can count on anything else we hear. So God, we ask that your word would go forth this morning. Holy Spirit, illuminate the way that we may see clearly. Be a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. Father, we don't want to get convoluted in any way. We want to hear what the word says itself. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. In Christ's name, amen. So, the way I want to handle this is I want us to take this interaction and go verse by verse in order to make sure that the interaction is very clear. That we see the important nuggets that we can find if we go verse by verse and learn what it's saying here. We're headed somewhere, and I want to stay in context in order to get there. And we will have five important takeaways at the end of this. But first, let's go section by section and verse by verse together. Verse 13 through 17, I'm calling that the interrogation. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes, he said, he is a prophet. So, the people who had asked him in the previous verses what had happened, and he said, I was blind, 
He put mud on my eyes. I washed and I see. They made a terrible mistake here. They take him to the Pharisees. Now there's a reason why. The Bible does teach in the Old Testament that if anyone's healed, that they come to the, present themselves in the synagogue. Well, the Pharisees ran the synagogue. As we'll see, the Pharisees ran the synagogue like it was a mafia organization. But, once again, we see that the Pharisees have made the Sabbath a day when not even good can be done. You can't even do good on the Sabbath. It's speculated that the reason uh, that they said he had broken the Sabbath here, because we don't really see what we see with the man who carried his bed. They said that he was breaking the Sabbath, and then that Jesus healed. It's speculated that they tried to tie Jesus making the clay to their rule that they had made prohibiting kneading dough on the Sabbath. They had made that one of their 39 other rules, is you couldn't knead dough on the Sabbath. So, I don't know about you, but I feel like that's a pretty big stretch to equate those two. But regardless of how huge a stretch it is, again, it's not in the Scriptures. It's not scriptural. This is their rule, not God's rule. The Pharisees asked the man, what happened? And he answered once again very precisely. He said, he put mud on my eyes, I washed, and I see. Very simple. But we also begin to see in this text that there definitely begins to be a division in the ranks of the Pharisees. That some say, yeah, definitely a sinner broke the Sabbath. But some say, no, a sinner couldn't do what he's doing. So we begin to see division. As truth will do. As many of you know, sometimes the truth divides. It can divide households. It can divide groups of people. It can divide countries. Truth can divide. In verse 17, they seek his opinion upon Jesus. They want to know what he thinks. In verse 17, and he says, he is a prophet. Now, does him saying that he is a prophet, does that profess faith in Christ yet? No. But it does one thing that the Pharisees really do not like. A prophet is sent by God. They don't want Jesus tied to God in any way. So they don't even like that he said he's a prophet. So, what's the next step for them? They decide not to take his word for what has even happened. In verses 18 through 23, we see that they interrogate his parents. John 9, 18 through 23 says, The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called his parents, the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son? who you say was born blind, how then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know 
Who opened his eyes? Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He's of age. Ask him. Make no mistake. This is not an attempt to get more info about the situation. This is not them trying to get another witness, to have two witnesses to, to show that, yes, he was born blind and now he sees. That's not what they were doing. They wanted to discredit this man and this miracle because they wanted to discredit Christ. And I think that what they did was utterly disgusting. They went and got his parents. Let's get in their shoes for just a minute. These very parents who had to face having a son born blind in this culture. Make no mistake, it's not like it is now. Now we see parents who have children born with, with different infirmities and we see them flourishing because the parents love and cherish and, and there's a community around them helping them flourish, right? Not in these days. You see, they had to help him through all the challenges of growing up blind. Having to hear that some sin must have made him that way. You guys did something or he did something in the womb. That's what happens. They probably had to tell him that he would have to go and find a place to beg in order to co contribute income to their home. They had to face all of the difficulties and sufferings of a parent raising a blind son in a culture that did not accept him at all. And one day, he comes home. Mom, Dad, I can see. And they were given no time to rejoice because they were called before the Pharisees. His parents answered, we know that this our son and that he was born blind and now, but how he now sees, we don't know. Uh, uh, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Look, look ask him, he's, he's of age. He can speak for himself. This isn't the answer of most parents I know. Most parents I know would be trying to high five somebody and so thankful that this had happened for their son. Yet there's no rejoicing, there's no excitement. There's nothing in this that shows that at all, is there? Ask him. He's of age. What does it all boil down to in this situation? One thing. Fear of man. In parentheses, it tells us. I love John's parentheses, by the way. John doesn't leave us guessing on a lot. His parentheses always try and say what, what's going on. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. They were fearful of the Pharisees. Why? They were kicking anyone professing a belief in Christ out of the synagogue. Now, they were like a mafia group. 
if you weren't in with them, you were out. They could not say what they wanted to out of fear of these evil men. Now, let us hold before we look down upon these parents. Okay? Because I've been there. We've been there. We've all been in situations when we have either not spoken out or changed our words due to fear of offense, especially about gospel-related things. We've all been there. So we can't look down upon these parents. But let's look at this punishment that the Pharisees were inflicting upon Christ's followers. We need to look more closely You see, this was an extreme punishment. It was wicked. So, we're going to talk a little bit more about what it really means. But listen. They went looking to these parents for more ammunition against Christ and couldn't find anything else. So you know what they decided to do? Let's pronounce our verdict. Verse 24 gives us the verdict. So, for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. That's their verdict. And J.C. Ryle, who I am legally obligated to quote in every sermon, describes the nature of this verdict so clearly in his commentary. Listen to what he says, and he's so right in this. He says, They were determined not to believe. They were resolved that no evidence should change their minds. No proofs influence their will. They were like men who shut their eyes and tie a bandage over them and refuse to have it untied. Just as in aftertimes they stopped their ears when Stephen preached and refused to listen when Paul made his defense. So they behaved at this period of our Lord's ministry. They refused, refused to even entertain the idea that maybe Christ had worked a miracle in this man's life. They refused, and there was no turning back. So they tried to exclude Christ from the miracle. The very one who made the mud, put it on his eyes, said to go wash, they said, "Uh, he didn't have anything to do with it, he's a sinner. And they tried to discredit a miracle. They can't deny that the man was born blind and now he can see. So they just try to discredit the one who worked the miracle. And here it begins to get much more divisive with the man. Why? He has lived his entire life blind. And now he can see. And he's not even been able to be happy and joyful and spread the news about it because he's been interrogated ever since it happened. He answered and he said, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And those Pharisees should have been rejoicing with him because this man had been blind and now he sees. This reaction really kind of tells us where the man is. He doesn't necessarily have a belief in Christ savingly, but he knows he can now see, and he couldn't before. 
In verse 26, they said to him, well, what did he do to you? How, how, how did he open your eyes? Why are they asking again? They've heard it from him before. They refuse to believe. They refuse to even entertain the idea. So he calls them out. He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? What a great answer. <laughs> and their answer is really telling. Really telling. In verse 28 and 29, And they refiled him, saying, You are his disciple, and we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Again, they rely on Moses. They know the words of Moses because Moses wrote the first five books, the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy were written by Moses. And they said, we know God spoke to Moses, but not this man. We don't know about him. Jesus already addressed this. Brother Kelby, or I have already preached this. John 5, 46, For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. What was the point of Moses' writing? Christ. Jesus Christ. Now in verse 30 through 33, the man gives a testimony of Christ. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You, you do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. You guys are the scholars. We know that God does not listen to sinners. That's scriptural, by the way. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. Historical evidence. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. That's the truth. No magicians, no healers could ever restore his eyesight, but Jesus did. He gives a testimony of Christ's work, which is beautiful, and it's wonderful. But I want to take us down a little side road here, just a second, and we're going to get to it deeper later on. Side note here. What he's doing here is not the same as sharing the gospel. And we're going to get into that. So in anger, for this testimony of Christ, the Pharisees dropped the nuke. They dropped their biggest bomb right on his head. Excommunication. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Excommunication. Now, I don't know that this is something that we can truly grasp in our time in the same way that it was felt at that time. Because uh, if we were kicked out of a church in the same kind of situation where we were testifying of Christ and they didn't like it and they kicked us out, if we were kicked out of the church for some reason, we could probably pick up a rock and throw it and hit another church to attend. Not in this day. The man had been kicked out of all Jewish fellowship. He was considered an apostate and a heretic. And he must have been devastated. 
The synagogue was the only place they could come to worship God. He must have been devastated. What a low point in his life. He's been kicked out of the very fellowship of God. God has just healed his eyes, and now they said, you can't even come in here. You're out. But there's hope in Scripture for those who may face things like this. And as Brother Paul read this morning, Psalm 56, 8 through 9 says, You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. And at this point in his life comes the greatest moment of his life. You say, well, he was born blind and he's, he's received his sight. Wouldn't that be the greatest moment? Nope, it's coming now. God saves him in a very literal way from his sufferings. How? Jesus finds him. Verse 35 through 38. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him. He used those words on purpose. Because what was the first face he saw when he was healed? Jesus. And it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. This man, in the pit of his worst moment, is found by Jesus Christ. And now, he professes his faith in him. He says, I believe. And then he worships him. And then, guess what? Now, he's truly able to see. He once was lost, but now he's found. He has been found by Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus ends this with an indictment of the Pharisees' unbelief and spiritual blindness. You see, what's so crazy is this man born blind was given his sight, and now he truly sees Jesus. These men who say they have sight, and they understand the Scriptures, and they know the truth, and nobody else can tell them any different, they're the ones who are actually spiritually blind. So, I told you we would get to five important takeaways. Well, here they are. The first one. We must never add to anyone laws that God has not made. The Pharisees were the masters of doing this. They wrote their own laws, basically. I mean, they, they wrote a side book. God's book wasn't enough for them. They wrote a side book of laws, rules, regulations. Honestly, if we're all honest in our own hearts and our own minds, we tend to do this. He, he doesn't do what I do, so therefore he must be wrong. He doesn't think like I think. He doesn't do this or not do this. He, we, we add so many laws when we must understand our specific actions can never save us. How do we know this? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says it very clearly. For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We can't boast in our ability to do these things that we think make us good. Why? It doesn't mean anything. We boast in Christ because He has done the work to save us. The second important takeaway is this. Christ is the central theme of all Scripture. All of it, all of it points to Christ. It's like those old signs you see. The ones with the marquee on them and they have the arrow with the light bulbs and it's flashing, pointing to the store you need to go to, right? Back in the day, that's what everybody had. And there was always one bulb out, right? Or one bulb yellow and one bulb white, right? All of Scripture is like a flashing arrow sign pointing to Christ. These Pharisees had this Scripture, yet they were blind. They could not see who Christ really is. We must never make that same mistake. We must see Christ in all of Scripture. How do we see Christ in all of Scripture? Let me give you an example. David. Believe it or not, in the Scripture about David and Goliath, you're not David, and the giant is not the financial situation, work situation, or anything else that you're dealing with. That's just the truth. Why? Because David is a type of Christ. What is Goliath? What is the most giant thing in your life that you could never overcome by yourself? Your sin. And who is David? Not you. Jesus. With one stone he slays the giant. Christ is in all of Scripture. All of redemptive history is bringing us to the moment when the baby was born in the manger, would live a sinless life and would die for us. John made it clear in the first chapter, right? In the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. And He's been redeeming us from the beginning. The third important takeaway is that God brings us sufferings in order to draw us closer to himself. To think that suffering, adversity, bad things in your life are just happenstance and hopefully God can turn it to your good is not a great way to think because there's no purpose in that. The purpose is that God brings suffering in our lives to draw us closer to himself. This man was born blind. And why did he say he was born blind? So that the glory of God may be manifested in his life. That they may see Christ's glory through him and what Christ was fixing to do. Jesus healed him. And now he's facing persecution and excommunication. And Jesus finds him. This man who is suffering, suffered sovereignly in God's Sovereign plan through all of this man's life was to bring him to the point where Jesus finds him and saves him. In your life, the suffering you may face, 
is not for nothing. You are being drawn closer and closer to the God of the universe. Now, the fourth takeaway. I told you we were going to get to it. Our personal testimony is not the gospel. This man gave a testimony of Christ and what Christ had done. But this was not a gospel presentation. I think that this is confusing our church culture. Uh, I was going through a how to witness thing with the church I was with, and the first thing they did was make us write out our whole testimony. That's not the gospel. A personal testimony does have some value, but it's no replacement for the gospel. What value does it have? Well, if somebody's faced the same things you have, guess what? You can say, look, I faced those same things. And God brought me out. And here's how. And then it's time for the gospel. The confusion probably comes from a cliche attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Don't know if he actually said it, but it's attributed to him. Preach the gospel. Use words if necessary. You've probably seen it on church signs, t-shirts, coffee mugs, bookmarks, all kinds of stuff. But I want to tell you, the statement's false. It's unscriptural and misleading. We do not live or do the gospel. The gospel must be preached. How do we know this? Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Preach it. Proclaim it. We need to use words to do that. Our life is not good enough. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What is the gospel? I'm glad you asked. Because this is the question that studies show is very hard for a lot of evangelicals to answer these days. Because they've heard all these other things that People say it's the gospel. I heard a guy talking about how he went and healed somebody's back and healed his girlfriend's leg, and then he went and bought him a guitar. He said, man, you're doing the gospel. That's not the gospel. Living a life of holiness in front of others is not doing the gospel. That's called being sanctified. And yes, it does have value, but the gospel is very simple. Four words can help you kind of describe the gospel. God, man, Christ, response. If you put anything into your, memory, into your memory banks, God, man, Christ, response. Let me give you the gospel really quickly. You ready? In the beginning, God created man. And he said that it was good. And he put him in the garden. And he said, you can have all the fruit you want, but there's one you can't. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did man do? He ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because of that sin, we are now born in sin. We have a God who created all things. He's holy, he's good, he's just, and we are not, and now we have a problem. 
We are never going to be good enough to get to him. But that brings me to the third word. You've heard about God, how holy he is, about man, how unholy he is. But in God's sovereign plan, we have Christ. Christ came, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. As the creed said, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, taking all of our wrath upon himself, as the song says. He died, he was buried, and three days later, he rose again, proving that the sacrifice that he had given was enough. He is our hope. And that leaves us with one thing, response. What's my response to that? Simple. Repent and trust in Christ. Believe in Him. He is your only hope. That's the gospel. Lastly, the last important takeaway is that the man responded in belief, and so should we. It was more, it was about more than a miracle in this story, in this interaction, in this, this time period of Christ's life, this real thing that happened. It was about more than the miracle to the man. Christ had found him, and he had suffered and was suffering, yet Christ found him. And all that pain melted away because he was made brand new by the very Son of God. If you are in Christ, he has found you too. Trust and believe in him for all of your life, like this man. Praise Jesus for redeeming you. If you are not in Christ, I have news for you. You have heard the gospel this morning. Repent. Trust in Christ. Believe in Him because He is your only hope. There is no escape. Christ is the only hope. I pray that God's Word this morning has made an impact in your life. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word and what you have shown us. Let us see what you have said in your word and let us realize that we need you more than we need our next breath. We need to believe all that you have done, that through every suffering, every situation in our life, that you are drawing us unto yourself, that the peace of God that passes understanding is available to those who are in Christ. Help us, help us grasp that. Father, we thank you that we are in Christ can rest in Christ, knowing that even though we are sinful, we have a God who is willing to forgive, and he does forgive us if we confess to him. We thank you. God, we ask that you would prick the heart of those who are not believers in Christ. Let this sermon be a rock in their shoe, that they must turn to him. They must find him. They must repent and trust in him. Help, help them. Sinner, you must turn to Christ. He is your only hope. There is no way away from his wrath. His wrath must be poured out 
It will either be poured out upon you or upon Christ 2,000 years ago. We thank you, Father, that you are able to save. Let this sermon echo in our hearts this week. Let us chew upon it. Let us think on it. And let it change our hearts forever. In Christ's name, amen.